4th of July weekend, as well as those who are joining us online. This is the second week, part two of a five-week message series we're doing entitled, Stay Positive. I just, stay positive. Hey, did you hear about the farmer who was so discouraged with his farm that he just threw up his hand and said, I had enough, I'm going to sell it, I'm going to move elsewhere. He contacted a realtor to come and take a look at it to do a write-up so he could post it online. The realtor said after they wrote something up, they would pass it by him to approve it before they put the ad and posted it online. So the realtor called the farmer and said, hey, we want to run this by you uh, to see if it's okay to post. Farmer said, go ahead. The realtor said, farm for sale. Well-maintained house. Great location. Stable barns. Lush pastures. Beautiful pond. Fertile soil. Great view. The farmer said, could, could you read that one more time to me, but slowly? And the realtor read it one more time. And the farmer said, stop. I've always wanted a farm like that. I'm not going to sell. I'm going to stay. Please don't post it. Because how we view something makes a world of difference in how we react. In fact, Ella Wheeler Wilcock in her Set the Sale poem, said basically the same thing and said it this way. This is, I'm not much into poems, not a poet. But this one attracted my attention. Pretty profound. One ship sails east and another west. By the self-same winds they blow. Tis the set of the sail and not the gales that tell the way they go. Life is like that. What you pay attention to, what you focus upon in life, usually determines how you set your sail or what decisions you make. Well, last week we talked about the children of Israel when they were released from bondage in Egypt, and how the Lord led them to the Red Sea. Literally, they were in a funnel. The, to the east and to the west were mountains. In front of them was the Red Sea, and fast approaching were the Egyptians who had changed their minds. And I say that in the adversities of life, in the hardships of life, when we're between a rock and a hard place, where there seems like there's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide, you got to make sure you recognize God's purpose for your life, and He does have a purpose for your life. you got to retain God's perspective, and you got to rely on the promises of God. As we talked about that last week, I also said this, that a negative outlook never, ever leads to a positive life. you got to stay positive. And then I shared about over the past number of months how I've been deeply burdened for the affairs of this world, things taking place in our nation, our church, and the church at whole, 
even our network, personal. And I said that it, it can be overwhelming at times. And before you know it, you get sucked into the negativity. You get sucked into complaining. And as I was very transparent with you, I, I really prayed, Lord, one of the things I've been praying, help me to see the good amongst the bad. And on Monday morning, I was going through the mail, and a newsletter was there from Rich and Lori um, McLean. There are missionaries in Poland who are helping the, uh, the relief efforts with the refugees coming in from Ukraine. What did I say? It's all a matter of how you look at things. Let me read part of their newsletter to you. Since the beginning of the invasion of Ukraine, Poland has received over 3.5 million refugees. Many see the devastation of the cities, the desperation of the homeless, the hunger, the lack of medicine, the loss of family, and much more. But what is happening may be the largest evangelistic evangelization the world has ever seen. The Ukrainian Pentecostal church before the war was considered to be one of the strongest and fastest growing evangelical churches in Europe. It has become a very strong link in getting humanitarian aid to the country and distributing into every village, no matter what the circumstance. In doing so, they are seeing thousands of people accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. There has been over 7 million people who have left the country itself. We've been told that three out of four Ukrainian refugees are Christians. If that's true, over five million Christians have been spread across Europe as well as other countries with the gospel message. As the early apostles were scattered in all the world during persecution times, we are seeing this happening once again in our day. God is doing something greater even though evil is trying to destroy a nation. It's all how you view. He goes on to say the Ukrainian church is alive. And the Polish Pentecostal church have been adding services for the refugees from Ukraine. And they say every service is packed. Filled to capacity where they have to add other services taking place. Last week we talked about optimism. Being optimistic. Staying positive. Today, we're going to talk about gratitude. And the title of my message is, Gratitude is the Cure for Complaining. Gratitude is the cure for complaining. Why do we complain? <laughs> Why do, have you ever thought? I, I really sat down and tried to take an inter-perspective of why do I complain? <laughs> to get attention. We have this innate aspect of our life where we want to be acknowledged and sometimes the only way we can be acknowledged is if we complain because the squeaky wheel gets the 
oil. Sometimes we complain because, well, we enjoy the attention. Misery loves company. And as we complain, we find someone else who complained, and before you know it, there's a partnership. And all of a sudden, we're comforted, we're comforted because we're not the only ones unhappy because now we have company with other people who are unhappy and we form this little group of unhappy complainers. But we also complain because it gives us power. Did you know that? Complaining gives us power. It gives us a voice to be heard. We complain because we don't want to lose control. And as we're fearing of losing control, we'll start to complain. Or we can be passive-aggressive. My supervisor, he's so idiotic, he's so stupid, he's so, I can't believe that my boss makes these dumb decisions. And what we're basically saying is what? If I was the boss, things would be different and things would be a lot better. The other day, Went out for a round of golf. And it could have been the first time since I was a teenager to shoot in the 80s. But every other hole, the sun was in my eyes. It was windy and my back was hurting. Now, I didn't really go out and play golf. But we complain, why? To excuse our poor performances. And we complain... Because the root of complaining is really bitterness. And we complain because we're just not happy. A number of years ago, I was with Dave Greco, and we were just talking, and I was just, I mean, I can be a complainer. I just got there and complained. And he looked at me and said, hey, Jeff, what's really wrong? Wow. What's really wrong? You want to know what's really wrong? Don't ask that question if you don't really want to know. Well, I'm here to tell you that there is a cure for complaining. Now, over the past few years, I don't know about you, but I'm sure you got tired of the phrase, we have to flatten the curve. That's all we heard from our government, our governor, they used that term to justify everything they did. Everything they did was justified by what? We have to flatten the curve. Well, as much as I hate to say it, we as the children of God need to flatten this curve of the pandemic called complaining. Listen, a glad heart, Proverbs says, makes a cheerful countenance. But by sorrow, the spirit is broken. And I'm here to tell you that there is a cure for this pandemic of complaining. And it's gratitude. I started just do a little Google search on gratitude and something caught my attention. It was an article written in PositivePsychology.com, 28 Benefits of Gratitude. I thought that was kind of interesting, 28 Benefits of Gratitude. I, I can't share all 28 with them, of, of them with you, but here, here, there's emotional benefits. Gratitude makes us happier, it increases our psychological well-being, and it increases our self-esteem. I, I, 
I mean, and they gave a little uh, synopsis of all those. I, I think that's so true. But then there is also social benefits. It improves our friendship, increases social support, and strengthens family relationships. On, on Friday, I, I was swimming. I got dressed. I was coming out of, of the gym. And I looked over to my and I saw this guy I hadn't seen in like three and a half years. Remember Dr. Bass, Alan Bass from the YMCA? Uh, yeah, he was there, and he was just working out. And I went up to him, and, and I go, Alan, he goes, Reverend. And it was just like we hadn't missed a step in our friendship because everything was always positive. There's personal benefits. It makes us more optimistic. It makes us more giving. Wow. But this is what I found so fascinating. Gratitude makes us less materialistic. Sometimes we are so materialistic-minded it's because we just aren't happy. And if you become happy, you become less materialistic. I thought that was really cool. And then there are some physical benefits. Reduces depressive symptoms. Reduces blood pressure. Improves your sleep. Now, for all those who complain that pastor has a three-point message all the time, I'm going to give you a little relief. There's only one point today. A one-point message so you can't leave complaining. Gratitude is the gateway to peace. Gratitude is the gateway to peace. Now, in order to show this point, I want you to turn to my favorite New Testament book, the book of Philippians, those who know me, the book of Philippians chapter 4. And how we're going to do this thing tonight, today, we're, we're going to do something a little different. In order to show you that gratitude is the gateway to peace, I want to dissect five verses for you. Oh yeah, it's a one-point sermon, but with five verses. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again. Rejoice. Now, whenever there's a double, it's there to get your attention. Rejoice. Let me say it again. Rejoice. Paul wants to get your attention. But this is what I did this week. Why? Why did you put the double rejoice? Because we're so negative, we always have to accentuate the positive, you know. Uh, and as, as much as this is my favorite book, and as much as I have read and know Philippians, God's word is always alive and active. And I want to share with you something I have never, ever seen in this passage before. Rejoice. The word rejoice comes from caro, which is to be glad. To be glad. It makes sense to be glad to rejoice. But there's a deeper meaning to rejoice. Because the word caro comes from charis, the word that means grace. And what are we rejoicing in? 
When Paul writes to the church at Philippi, he's in prison, as Pastor Paul mentioned in his prayer. His tomorrow is unsure. He doesn't know what his tomorrow holds. He, He possibly could be facing execution. And here he is rejoicing. He's not rejoicing in his circumstance, but his rejoicing is based upon the grace of God that God imparted unmerited favor that Paul has received something he hasn't deserved. That's grace. God has made him a child of God. He's not rejoicing in his circumstance. He's rejoicing in who he is. And no matter our adversities or no matter where you find yourself, that circumstance may not cause you to rejoice, but you can rejoice because you are a child of God. Then he goes, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now, as I thought about this, we have to work this verse backwards, okay? The Lord is near. Some translation says the Lord is at hand. The King James says the Lord cometh. What it's referring to is the return of the Lord is imminent. Jesus Christ is coming back. And what does that mean to me? It means to me that there are still a lot of people who do not know Jesus Christ and we need to get the message of the good news to them. There's a sense of urgency. And I believe that's what Paul's saying. Because the return of the Lord is imminent, therefore, let your gentleness, let your moderation, Let your kindness, let your meekness, let your patience be evident to all. In other words, when you're not getting the satisfaction you want at the service-customer relationship counter, don't blow up. Don't lose your temper. Don't get your knickers in a twist. Don't fly off at the handle. It's not worth losing your testimony over as being a Christian because that very person that you're rude to could be sitting next to you next week in church. And all of a sudden, I put the two verses together. Because the Lord is coming back, Because there's a sense of urgency to get the message of Jesus Christ to the lost and dying into our very community. Paul says, rejoice and let me rejoice. Rejoice and be kind. Rejoice and be gentle because it's your rejoicing and your gentleness that will win favor with people to lead them to Jesus Christ. Not your complaining and your rudeness. Ouch. It's your rejoicing. It's your praise. It's your kindness. And not your complaining and your rudeness. Now let me ask a question. How many of you Really wish you could worry more. Anybody wish they could worry more? How many here would think 
that your life would be a lot better off if you could just worry more. Nobody? Whether worry may just be an occasional acquaintance or whether worry is constantly a companion. Whether you, you see worry as a slight distraction or, or a force that completely immobilizes you, I have really come to the conclusion that all of us would like to worry less unless you enjoy being unhappy and miserable. Be anxious about nothing. Don't worry about anything. Come on, how hard is that? But Paul says, in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. All right, be anxious. Be anxious means to be concerned, to worry. But the word also means to be pulled apart. How many, how many of you get pulled apart in many different directions? Health, finances, kids, work. And, and, and it, life is just pulling you in many different directions. It, it, the word also means going into pieces. And before you know it, we're worried about our future. We're worried about our health. We're worried about our 401K. We're worried about retirement. We're worried about our children. We're worried about our grandchildren. We're worried about this pandemic. We're worried about monkeypox. We're to be vaxxed or not to be vaxxed, to wear a mask, not to wear a mask, to go out, to social distance, and be sure you know it, our plates gets full with all the times we've been pulling apart, and, and, and it's like we keep piling up all the different pieces, all the different aspects of our life, and, and ha, ha, has life ever been a balancing act for you? where you're trying to balance your career, you're trying to balance your home, you're trying to balance the kids' relationship, you're trying to balance your in-law, in-laws. I didn't say that. I love my mother-in-law. And life becomes a balancing act where life becomes, you, you ever feel like you're skating on thin ice? Because you're always afraid you're going to say the wrong thing to the wrong person at the wrong time. And when you say the wrong thing to the wrong person at, at the wrong time, it's just like, boom, and you're tripping. Life becomes a mess. And you have all these pieces to pick up. That's what worry. That's what an anxious life is like. A balancing act of skinning on thin ice. But in everything, and there's one of Paul's favorite terms, in everything, you, you find this over and over. And as soon as I thought of this, don't be anxious about any, anything, but in everything. In, in, in other words, Romans 8.28, we don't have to worry about anything because God can make anything good. He takes anything and everything. And he can turn it for good. So therefore, we don't have to be anxious. But by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. And here we have another beautiful word picture. Present your request to God. Eucharistia. 
It means to be thankful. But in the middle of Eucharistia is the word God's grace once again. And what Paul is saying is, I rejoice in God's grace. I give thanks for God's grace. My circumstances doesn't determine my thanksgiving. My circumstances doesn't determine my rejoicing. It's God's grace of who he made me and what I received from him and the salvation. I don't care what, the, what my future may hold on earth. For me to live and to die as Christ is gain. So he gives thanks based upon God's unmerited favor to us. It's not his circumstances that dictates thanksgiving and rejoicing. And then there's that beautiful verse. I I just want to, can I just proclaim it over all of you? And the peace of God. How good does that sound? And the peace of God that passeth or transcends all understanding. What will that peace do? It'll guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. That word peace is a quietness because of God's gift of wholeness. This is really interesting here. I was so excited when I when I, I, I dissected the verse and realized peace is the very opposite of anxiety. What does anxiety do? It pulls us apart into pieces. What does God's peace do? It makes us whole. Where the balancing act becomes so much easier. And we don't have a lot of pieces to pick up. God's peace is a wholeness that brings us together in a quiet, calm confidence that God will work all things together for good. And it passeth, it goes beyond. How does God's peace go beyond our understanding? Because our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. His ways and thoughts are so much greater than our ways and thoughts that even if we can't understand it, we know that his peace goes beyond our own understanding. And it guards our thoughts and our passions and our affections and endeavors. Our minds and And here's what I thought about. Man, when I got to verse 7, it resonated. God, that's where I need to be. And it was almost like God said, you can't get to verse 7 before you practice verse 6. That's why verse 6 comes before verse 7. Be anxious about nothing. But in everything, prayer and petition with thanksgiving, just rejoice in who I am. It's not your circumstances or your situations that dictate your thanksgiving, but it's who you are 
and as you rejoice in who you are and whose you are and his grace upon your life, there's a peace. Finally, and now some of you are becoming less worried because it's coming to an end. Finally. Pastor Bonnie, you can come. Finally. I'm telling you, over these past few years, I have found more people who are on edge. And I just want to, to, to liken this glass to our life, to your heart. And when I say your heart, I'm not talking about the organ that pumps blood through your vessels. I'm, I'm talking about your thoughts, your endeavors, your desires, your dreams. And pre-pandemic, I knew a lot of people who saw clearly. When the pandemic came, we became frightened and worried about, will this thing ever end? Where will it go? And even afterwards, people are still worried about the long-term effects. Our 401ks are no longer 401ks, they're like 201ks. Economies in the tank. Our children who were off from school, they complain about going to school. And life becomes cloudy. How do we know that science has it right? How do we know that it might not come back stronger this fall? There are those still suffering from the loss of loved ones, still suffering from the effects. And all of a sudden, our clear, perfect lives become tainted, disdained, distorted, cloudy, muddied. Worried about our future. Worried about our health. What's next? Where do we go from here? Well, I want to propose a cure. And the cure is a good dose of gratitude, a good dose of thankfulness. It's a prescription, a medicine that doesn't come. Don't those commercials on TV scare you when they talk about a, a medicine and then they give you all the side effects? I'm telling you, there's no side effects to this medicine. The medicine of gratitude and thanksgiving to a messed up life. And you begin to think about what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is holy, what is lovely. I see some of you taking notes. You're thinking about having a thankfulness journey in your journal and and, and you go home and you get all excited because you're going to practice 
this prescription of being thankful and a heart full of gratitude. And, and then Wednesday rolls around and things become a little hard. And, but it's a daily grind. Man, it's, I can, it's not easy to take captive every... Do you know how tiring it is to take captive every thought and make it obedient unto the Lord? But every day... Lord, whatever is pure, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, if, whatever is admirable, if, if everything is excellent or praiseworthy, Lord, that's, that's what I want you to fill my life with. I just need to be filled with thanksgiving and an attitude of gratitude that will take away the negativity and the darkness in my life, that my life will become clean and pure before you to be a living witness, to be something that quenches the thirst of other people. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you. I just want to thank you. Take a little time oh, right now you, and say thank, thank you, Lord, for all you've, you've done, done for me. me. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, we just want to take a little time oh, right now. Say thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me. prepare for a communion this morning, I, I just had felt, want to do something different. The altar, altar lives. I, I preached a message years ago about how the altar, altar lives, and, and God has just been pressing upon my heart that we need to get back to the altar. That's what he's been pressing upon my heart real simple as Pastor Bonnie continues to lead us. There's communion trays all over the sanctuary, over to your right in the middle, over to your left in the middle. Self-serve. You go, get your bread, get the cup. If you want to go back to your seat, fine. If you want to make your way to this altar, we tried to clear it out as much as possible. But we're going to just ask people if those who want to take communion at this altar day, just feel free to come. And can we flatten the curve of the pandemic of complaining? 